Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're in your sports talk and long-suffering fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. We're going to go and cross the pond for our sports this week. We're going to be joined just a minute by Dan DiMartini, the PJ Tour, our golf guy. We're going to preview the Open Championship, the final golf major of the season over at Royal St. Andrews in England. So we're going to break that all down with Dan in just a bit. Make sure you lock in the end of the show for six two-minute drill. We're going to let you know what happened at the end of Wimbledon. We have our champions. The tournament got a little crazy towards the end, some big upsets, some injuries. Let's you know all that at the end of the show in the two-minute drill. If you want more stuff like this podcast and you like what you're hearing here, Feel free to subscribe on the Just End the Suffering podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering or Favorite Podcast platforms. Find our episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. Help the podcast even better going forward. If you like what you're hearing here, leave that five-star review. Leave some comments. Let us know what you're thinking here. Again, leave the feedback. That's much appreciated. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube, for video versions of the conversations with Dan and our opening tip guest, Phil Frey, are going to be joined in just a minute to talk about interesting Supreme uh, Congressional news centering baseball's antitrust exemption. We'll get to all of that right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast here in the opening tip talking about a news item that broke a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to let it marinate a little bit. Talking about a little bit of a situation MLB may have with the con- with Congress right now. Joining me today, our legal correspondent, Phil Freya is here. Phil, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good here. And I got to say, when I saw this news item a few weeks ago, like this caught me completely out of left field. And to set the stage for the audience here, there's a bipartisan letter from the Senate Judiciary Committee where targeting MLB's antitrust exemption. So what do you what did you think when you first saw this? Um pretty surprised. Seems to have just totally come out of left field uh, this letter. Um didn't really think there was anything going on that would uh would make you expect that this letter was coming other than the 100 year anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision in federal baseball club versus National League, which the senators do reference in the letter. But uh, still surprised that this this happened. Yeah, to be clear, this is a bipartisan effort here. It's the, the letter signed by the uh, chair, Dick, Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, uh, ranking member, Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa. All signed by Richard Blumenthal, a Connecticut Democrat, Mike Lee, Republican from Utah here. And I think the fact is that, like, first of all, before we get more into the bipartisanship of it here, can you explain the antitrust exemption and what it means for baseball? Sure. So uh, <clears throat> antitrust laws are uh, something that the public is generally familiar with. Uh, they, they prevent 
businesses from collaborating or uh, conspiring against consumers or, or against labor. Um, in the case of baseball, that obviously is going on because uh, all you have to do is just think about it. You know, the, the Yankees and the Mets are obviously separate organizations, but they conspire together to participate in the same kind of, uh, of league. And that league is, uh, it imposes a variety of rules. You know, you're, you're not allowed, your stadium has to be this big. You're not allowed to move stadiums without permission, so on and so forth. So th there's, there's that aspect of it. Baseball is the only sport that is exempt from antitrust laws in America. And that is because 100 years ago, the Supreme Court decided a case and determined that the antitrust exemption did not reach baseball because baseball, uh, according to the court in that case, was not really a business. It was more of a inner intrastate event. So a, a game only took place in New York. It wasn't really a business uh, that that implicated multiple states. So therefore, Congress couldn't regulate it. That, that was the rationale for that decision. That has obviously since been altered. Uh, we no longer think of commerce in that literal sense. Obviously, a baseball game in New York has uh, goods and services coming in from all different states. So in the 70s, the court revised that part and said that, no, 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 that, that's not, that's no longer the rationale, but continued to hold the antitrust exemption uh, and an opinion that is really hard to, hard to square, uh, drafted at that time by Justice Blackman, that the first, I believe it's five, I haven't read it in a while, but I think it's five or six pages, simply lists baseball players and gives a history of the game of baseball and how important baseball is to America. The decisions flood versus coon. Uh, and then ultimately decides that because of the concept of stare decisis, which means um, upholding prior precedent, Congress can't, or the court can't change its prior precedent, which uh, as anybody who's following the news knows that's not necessarily true. Uh, the court can certainly change their precedent as they just did with some hot button issues like, like abortion. So, uh, but nonetheless, that, that's the decision. That's the law. It's a, it's a strange opinion when you read it. It really starts out as a, a basically just a, what's been described as an ode to baseball. Yeah, it is certainly strange for sure. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last year. Remember when the MLB moved the All-Star game from Atlanta, there was a bunch of Republicans who tried to go after the exemption at, at that time, sort of a payback mover. That sort of went nowhere here. I do think it's interesting, though, here that we get this whole bipartisan effort, specifically looking at the minor league player aspect. I know minor league rights have been a big deal of late in terms of the league as an issue here. I mean, probably a little bit neglected bargaining here, but, like, why do you think the Congress is looking simply at the minor leagues in terms of this exemption? So uh, probably because it's low-hanging fruit. Uh, th there's a legitimate labor issue in the minor leagues that's been 
detailed and we've talked about on this podcast, uh, minor league players really are really not paid well. And minor league baseball is hanging on by a thread. Uh, they obviously cut a substantial number of teams. They, you know, they blamed it on the pandemic, but I think you and I both think that it was happening anyway. Pandemic kind of just accelerated it. Uh, so, so that's probably why just low hanging fruit. Yeah, I also think it's interesting here. I feel like in terms of the minor league example here, we do, I do feel like that this was something, again, we talked about last year with the Republicans doing after this. And I do think in terms of the lockout baseball had, I did, I did notice back, I think in April, right before they settled this, that uh, Dick Durham, believe, wrote a, a letter basically saying, you know what, why are we having these issues for the customers? It's not fair. Like, Maybe the enterprise should be challenged, and a few weeks later we get this letter. So I wonder if it's something that's been germinating in their minds over after over the course of this winter. I'd imagine that it's it's been germinating in their minds because the antitrust exemption is just it's just really impossible to uh, to justify. Um, they, they, it's it's obviously something that. The, the, the rationale for the decision you know, that that first that baseball is only played in one state, the, obviously not true. And second, that we can't overturn our prior precedents, obviously not true, is uh, is just a little it's hard to hard to wrap your head around and, and look at in a non-cynical fashion. Uh, you know, 50 years ago in the flood versus coon case, there were dissenting justices and they pointed out that at that time, so we're talking about the early seventies that to consider baseball, anything but a business at that point was, was crazy. And now it's certainly just lunacy. How could you call baseball anything than a big business? That's what it is. Major league baseball is big business in this country. Yeah, big business basically being granted the authority through this exemption as he operates a legal monopoly here, whereas we've seen the NFL does have competitors. I mean, we've seen the XFL rebooted coming. We got a USFL season. The NBA had the ABA, and obviously I don't, hockey, I'm sure they've had some competitors. Baseball, like, you're not allowed to legally make a league to compete as professional baseball. Uh, yeah, not, not, well, baseball has the ability to just basically suffocate you so you can't compete. Whether that's restricting where teams are allowed to play, TV blackouts, things of that sort. Uh, but it probably doesn't really matter in those contexts. You know, it, it's it's not the fear that somebody's going to come in and start a, their, start a league to take away from baseball. It's more the fear of the minor league system. The entire minor league system relies on baseball, Major League Baseball being exempt from antitrust. That's how they're able to control minor league baseball. So they're able to set salaries, make rules, uh, designate which minor league organizations belong to which major league affiliates and prevent one team from, you know, just uh, switching signing a guy who is in the organization of another, which otherwise would happen, right? Uh, if, if there's a prospect in, you know, say the the Pirates organization, O'Neill Cruz. Uh, a lot of people thought he was ready to come up months ago. It, without the antitrust exemption, there would have been nothing stopping the Yankees from saying, "You want to play? We need a shortstop. Uh, congratulations, you have a job." Yeah, it's a good point here. I do think it's interesting here. Whereas, like several times before, they've 
that the Senate has tried to come for the entire exemption. They have not come close to that. It feels like here, this bipartisan effort seems to be looking at carving out the minor leaguers from the antitrust exemption, which is something that happened to the major league players in 98 with the Curt Flood Act. And basically, according to an article from Evan Drell in The Athletic I was looking at earlier, basically said that if, like, it gives them the option to basically have MLB maintain the antitrust exemption for business purposes, but the players can sue for antitrust grounds by disbanding their union, which has not been attempted yet. If the minor leaguers, I think, get pulled out of this and basically said, okay, you're exempt too from the antitrust thing, I think this could create a lot of problems for baseball. It would be a disaster for baseball. So baseball right now is able to run this minor league system. Baseball is the reason why this the antitrust exemption is why you have this minor league system in baseball that you don't see elsewhere. So the answer that the NBA and the NFL came up with is to essentially use colleges. They, they are able to use college basketball and college football as their breeding ground for young players who are not quite ready for the pros and they can scout them that way, but because they wouldn't be able to assemble any sort of a minor league affiliate and uh, and restrict where players can go. If this if they opt out of baseball, you got a big problem because here's what what ultimately likely happens is minor league baseball players unionize, and if they unionize, you're going to have a labor dispute. And if if you end up with some sort of a strike in minor league baseball, that would be a disaster for major league baseball. What what happens when? A team has injuries. Where do they go for to call up some, you know, uh, we, we need a left fielder. Well, where are you going to get that left fielder? You can't call them up. They're on strike. So you're going down to the college ball, try and pluck a left fielder out of college. Uh, it's, it becomes a big, big problem. Yeah, in terms of that specifically, I think that refers basically to any of the minor leaguers, there's like about like 1,200 of them who are not on 40-man rosters. So like basically like, if the Mets wanted to call up Mark Vientos, they can because he's on their 40-man roster. But they wanted to add, say, like Brett Batty, their other top prospect, they cannot because he would not. He would be on the strike and not on the 40-man roster. Right. Yeah. The guys on the 40-man do get protection from the Major League Baseball Players Union. But guys who are not on the 40-man get nothing. Yeah, also I think it's interesting here because I think this issue also arose because of the recent contraction of the minor leagues. So we had 100, went from 160 affiliates to 120. And that's something that the... Congress has taken issue with in the past few years here. Like, like, how do you think like this would be impacting here if they said, okay, we're going to carve out the minor leaguers here and basically you can't dictate where these teams can go and like who can connect with who. Like, I, I feel like this would all open all Pandora's box away the league would not want. It would be a disaster. Uh, just a complete disaster. Now, I don't think that Congress wants to do that, but I do think that Congress wants to create some sort of a system or pressure baseball into it where minor league baseball players can get a little more labor freedom, uh, similar to what major leaguers have. A union, the ability to negotiate pay, things of that sort. Yeah, maybe like an ability to like sort of get into like a, a free agency situation earlier where like maybe they're stuck in organizations not really advancing them. They can go another team and give themselves a chance to like advance their careers a little bit. Yeah. Now, one thing to note, though, that with minor league baseball, that makes this a little tricky. And there's no other job really in the world that I can think of like this. Most jobs that are unionized, whether it be professional sports or otherwise, you want to work in that field. That's why you're in the job and you want to keep your job. 
minor league baseball players, by definition, do not want to keep their jobs. They want to make the major leagues. So there is far less sense of unity amongst labor when it comes to minor league baseball. You, yeah, you're your teammates, but let's face it, uh, you want your teammate to not do well and you want to do well so that you make the major leagues and he doesn't. If, if the team needs one bat, well, you want to be that bat. So from that standpoint, it does add a wrinkle. And so it's an odd circumstance. It's the only job I can think of where you don't want to actually be there long-term. Yeah. I think that's a fair point here. I think also let's go down the high level road here. Let's say for some reason that like, they try and get the baseball cooperate baseball doesn't. And they say, you know, we're going to get enough support here. We're going to blow up the exemption entirely. What would happen to baseball if that happened? Disaster. Uh, they would, they'd end up in a situation where they'd have to be trying to reorganize the minor league. Minor league players would probably jump all over the place. You'd have a situation not too different than you're seeing with the golf right now and the live golf. Uh, that's different in that I don't think superstar players wouldn't be leaving, but top prospects who are not on 40-man rosters would. They'd be jumping all over the place for whoever's willing to pay them the most money. Yeah, and uh, it would be a total disaster. And I do think that the Supreme Court has shown a little bit of a willingness to revisit this. Uh, Justice Gorsuch in particular has been writing about this for years, even when he was an appellate court judge. And now... Uh, in the NCAA case that we talked about, there there was a reference to federal baseball, uh, which we discussed earlier, by Justice Gorsuch again. This is something that he has indicated or made clear that he is very, very willing to revisit. Yeah, I also want to ask a thing about, like, I know that one of the things that they have advantage of with the antitrust is that they control where they do their business, for example, like, we have a team like Tampa, which has been trying to enact their Montre their split stadium plan with Montreal and and Tampa, and like they would need league approval to move. Whereas if there was no antitrust exemption, they could say, "Fine, we're going to move wherever the hell we want." Yep, absolutely. Uh, they could the Tampa Bay Rays could say, "You know what? We think New York can sustain a third team. We're going to New York." Yeah, and nobody could stop them. Yeah, same thing with the A's. The A's could go to Vegas, so that like without any uh, hesitation from the league. Sure. And I think that goes a lot into like I know like uh, Senator Grassley's also been big on the the blackouts in baseball make no sense. Like why are we having seven different teams getting blacked out in Iowa? Like the territorial rights thing that sort of didn't define the broadcast thing would also be they ripped to shred that the antitrust goes away. Yep, kills regional sports networks, kills them. Yeah, because then then everybody could offer every team every market. Yeah, and and let's face it. Uh... I know right now you can you can get that if, if you're a baseball fan you can buy MLB.tv but there are some players who play for other teams who uh, you would would probably you'd be probably be able to broadcast every night. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani, yeah. Uh, the Yankees have nationwide appeal. The Mets have nationwide appeal. The Red Sox have nationwide appeal. You can probably broadcast those teams every night and they beat the draws of local teams in you know, places like Kansas City. Sure. Absolutely. So based on what we've read, you've read here so far, based on the letter that they sent out and some of the, I know this Congress ability to a lot of things. Obviously we've seen that they have regulated tons of bills. They have January 6th hearings, all that. This is a se separate Senate issue here. Like what else do you think that this, 
exemption gets altered in some way? You think this is just like them blowing smoke, trying a grandstand? You think something yeah, actually happens? I, I think it's low. Uh, you know, this is still politics. Uh, these are politicians. There, there are political implications in play. I, I'm not sure what the likelihood of anything coming of this is. I, I think it's worth monitoring, but uh, I don't, I don't think anything's imminent. All right. One of the things I think is worth monitoring here. We sort of mentioned this story off the air. I bring it on the air here. Is that the NFL's invest, like the congressional investigation to the Washington Commanders organization, what's going on with Dan Snyder? I mean, Roger Goodell testified in front of Congress, I think, a week or two ago. He was basically grilled about like why is Snyder still the owner in Washington, and he said, "Hey, like I can't remove him. It's like it's you know, this whole process for this." They also the committee is also subpoenaed Dan Snyder. He's in trying to avoid the subpoena here. So, what do you think is going on here with this, uh, the Daniel Snyder situation with Washington? I think Dan Snyder's in trouble. Uh, he, Dan Snyder does not have friends, many friends, uh, outside of NFL ownership circles. And uh, I think that Congress is going to really, really try and get this guy, get him to testify and, uh, and, and force him out. Snyder, he just doesn't have any friends. Yeah, I feel like the end goal here, I feel like they're going to keep like pushing the lawyers to get him out to testify. I think... This is good. I think my prediction here is that this is going to force there's be some back channel of dealing here between Goodell and some of the other influential owners to basically vote him out and put that team up for sale. So they don't have to have him airing dirty laundry for in front of Congress. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that the owners they don't they probably don't really care about Snyder. You know, they they they're probably ready to let the guy go. Yeah, I think they're more concerned is that like if he I think they're trying to wait right now. My personal guess is like if we cut bay at him, does he just go? do an interview somewhere and air all our secrets. I think that's their big concern. Probably. Yeah. But, uh, but Snyder, Snyder, it's probably time for him to go. You know, the, the allegations about what happened in, in Washington are, are bad enough, but Snyder's just been, he's just been a bad owner. I don't think anybody can argue with this. Yeah. Both on the field and off the field. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Phil, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, but definitely look, we'll monitor the uh, the antitrust situation. And, you know, uh, before we go, one thing that I didn't mention, too, the other thing that they noted, the senators, is what's going on in the Dominican Republic. And that that's something that's interesting to look at, too. Uh, there's a great athletic piece about this, uh, about the just absolute corruption, Ken Rosenthal and Maria Torres, uh, what, what goes on in Dominican baseball and, and just exploiting poor teenagers from, from a young age, whether it's performance enhancing drugs or, or putting them into so, uh, training facilities at a young age with the prospect promise of money. It's uh, it, it, that's a problem. And that's something that Congress is going to look at too. Absolutely. Keep on all that stuff, Phil. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. All right. We are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You're ready for the final golf major of the year, the Open Championship. I believe the first time we're covering on the podcast is, I want to say, 2019. Joining me today to break it all down, our PGA Tour correspondent, Dan Martinez is here. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Glad to be back. Uh, we, we hit all four majors this year, so that's great. And uh, it's going to be an exciting FedEx Cup playoff. So, this will be, uh, you know, this is the best time of the season to be watching golf. And 
everybody's playing really, really well right now. So it's an exciting time. It absolutely is. I mean, last year, like the timing didn't work out schedule wise with all this stuff, but we are here on the press of the 150th anniversary of the Open Championship. Do you know offhand if they are planning a special to commemorate this uh, anniversary? You know, I don't know if they're planning anything special, but there are a few interesting things that uh, that we've kind of heard are happening. Um, for those of you that are listening that don't really know about how many spectators an average golf event is, it's it's you know it depends on on the venue and and the area that the tournament's in. But you would say it's over the course of four days, somewhere between maybe eighty thousand and one hundred and twenty thousand or so would be a really good tournament. And, um, you know, I think the, the article that I read actually about this that popped up today said that they received 1.3 million applications for tickets. Whoa. Uh, they're expecting almost 300,000 spectators, which would be three times the size of one of the larger tournaments you've probably ever gone to if you've gone to a PGA Tour tournament. And, you know, everybody historically looks at the U.S. Open spectator and galleries and says, Oh, those are the biggest in golf. This one is going to even surpass that. So they're expecting the biggest crowds you've probably ever seen at a golf event. You know, St. The old course, St. Andrews is it's the oldest venue in golf. Um, I think it's like 600 years old and old Tom Morris and the, the store, you can look up the, the history of golf or go to the, to the world golf uh, museum. And um, it's, it's a special place um it's probably one of two of the most spectacular places if you're thinking golf you probably think the old course st andrews and you think augusta national so within europe there's nothing more famous and um it's a special place for a lot of players and uh it's also a special place for just the golf enthusiast everybody's dream is to be able to go over and play so um if there was one thing that i do know that's spectacular i guess you could say it is that tiger woods is playing um you know obviously we haven't seen tiger uh play competitively he did play at the jp mcmanus pro-am which is a very famous charitable pro-am played in ireland we if for those that don't know about that it's a two-day pro-am and all the biggest stars in golf play in it um and uh it's a, it, it's also very very special uh, it's probably the most special pro-am out, that's out there and um you know remember we we saw tiger play the masters you know he finished i think somewhere in the 40s um you know withdrew from the pga didn't play u.s open so he hasn't played any other events and um, so we have no idea what to expect but you know tiger's in the field and that's going to draw even more people out so it's going to be a, a fantastic event next week and it's going to be really special and even if you are a marginal golf fan it's a tournament that will make you feel all the feels. You know what I mean? It, you have to watch. You have to watch them walk up the fairway. You have to watch the craziness of the galleries and the people just that are so appreciative of the quality of play that will happen next week. And um, there's so much tradition and honor and respect. Um, it, it, I'm fingers crossed. It's great weather. And, um, but yeah, the, these players have a huge task on their hands with how difficult the old course is. So yeah, so we can get into a little bit of that too. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the old course. You know, obviously it's the most famous golf course in the world. They've held the open championship 29 times, fitting against the 150th anniversary here. So 
for those of us like me who have not been like golf historians, what do I need to know about this course? Well, you need to know undulation is is the word. Um, it, it it is one of those crazy. If you close your eyes and you think about just rolling fairways, massive bunkers, huge open greens. Even my, I was talking to my dad earlier and who's played the course several times. And he was just like, you got to remember there's double greens out there as well. So the, basically what you're looking at is you're, you, you need to be so dialed in on that pin. You could be on a green, but you could be 50, 60 yards away. Um, so you're going to see some crazy putts, um, some uh, potentially some cold and windy p- conditions. Um, maybe even some rain. I'm not sure what the forecast will be, but that, that is pretty normal for, for out there. And, um, I I do think that you're going to see some spectacularly deep bunkers, like really, really hard to get out of. Uh, and then obviously the most famous hole, I, I think potentially other than at TPC Sawgrass, the 17th hole, the 17th hole, uh, at the old course, it's, it's called the road hole. And, um, for those of you that don't know, maybe you played the old tiger woods, uh, you know, EA sports game from back in the day. Um, very famous to get to play that hole. And that's the one where the, the old, the old course hotel is on the right side of the tee box. So basically depending on if you're a righty or lefty, you've got about half of your view on your tee shot is obstructing by the side. There's literally a, a, hotel right there so if you're nervous on that tee box you could easily doink it off the the side of the hotel then you've got the the road literally it's called the road hole literally a road that goes all the way up through the right side of the the hole itself it's like almost 500 yard par four uh you've got everybody used to try i think it was like renovated maybe about 10 or 15 years ago maybe even longer now it was renovated in a way where guys used to try to take the hotel and some of the difficulty of, of the green out of it by aiming way left. Well, now if you hit it left and you try to approach the pin, they put in the road hole bunker, which is just a mammoth of a bunker. And it basically blocks all the approaches that come in from the left side. So if you hit a little too much club and it rolls out, you're going to get stuck in that bunker. So even if you're not a fan who's of who's playing the hole, if you see somebody on 17, stop what you're doing uh, and take a look because there, and once again, if you truly want to see perfection in golf architecture and agronomy, watch the tournament next week and it will literally just ignite all of your passion for why you even gotten interested in golf in the first place. Good to know. And obviously, you always take a look at the defending champ here. Last year, the Open Champion was Con Morikawa. We know he's got a interesting road here. What do you think he can do on this course? I, I think Colin is playing absolutely fantastic. And I think that this is another opportunity for him to showcase himself as one of the best players in the world. And, you know, I think he's played 14 events this year. I think he's got seven or eight top tens, including a couple second place finishes. Um, he doesn't have a win on the season in the, in the 21, 22 season, but he's clearly shown that in only, you know, 14 or 15 starts that he's anytime he's in it, he's either, uh, going to finish in a, in a very high position and he's, and he's right in the mix. So I think his playing form right now 
and and what this course requires you to do, which is to put your tee shot in a very, very strategic position. There's nobody better with long irons or mid irons than he is. And I think that if he can put the ball on greens in reasonable places to make putts, which is the hardest thing to do there, uh, it's one of those things most people are happy when they're, oh, I just get it on the green. You can two putt and be fine. No, not at, not at St. Andrews. If you put the ball on the green, you could still potentially have to hit a wedge shot uh, even to get it close to a green, to a hole. So it's just a, you have to watch it to understand how different this is not your normal difficult country club down the street in New York. This is, this is a very, this is like a whole different game that'll be played out there in a whole different landscape. So Colin has the game to absolutely, uh, to, to win the whole thing and, and to repeat for sure. Yeah. So let's go back to Tiger Woods here because he's won here twice in the past. And we know that he came back for the masters. He withdrew from the PGA after a bad performance. And then he strategically skipped the U S open with the eyes pointed towards this tournament here. And, but look, we all know that Tiger, like being like on the leaderboard, like at the, the top leaderboard on the Sunday, is unrealistic at this point. So, what do you think is the best case scenario for Tiger here? I mean, best case scenario, um, he he manages the first two days. Um, I I don't mean to try to to help him or any or, or anything, but I would say if there was some sort of inclement weather that kept all of the scores down um, in, in a way that everybody was right hovering around even, and he could get out of there without having to, to go low um, on Thursday and Friday, that would give him a really good chance to stay in the mix and build some confidence. You would have to say with Tiger's track record that this course is probably the place he's most comfortable playing in, in Europe or outside the U S um just for purely from a historical standpoint and a career standpoint this is the place where if he has a, ch a chance to win this is clearly why he was waiting and getting himself in shape i watched him uh play a couple holes during the pro-am the the mcmanus pro-am and he his swing looks fantastic i mean he was he didn't necessarily play great but he was ripping the ball and and look you're not going to get into a a ton of trouble off the tee because it's so wide open out there now yes there's huge fescue there's bunkers all over the place there's trouble but if he can put it anywhere remotely near the fairway he knows where he has to put the ball he knows this course so so well so this isn't like he's walking into a random venue um I would love to see Tiger be in the mix. I just don't think there's any way with how many other young stars coming from the PGA Tour to play the Open um, that there's any way he's able with his current situation to keep up. I just think there's too many guys that are hungry to make a name for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to take a look here at the at the most recent champions here. And I mean, I don't know if Zach Johnson is going to play this tournament. I know that he's eligibly 1-15. Louis Osthusen is in the field, and he won, I think, back in 2011, and he went to the playoff with Zach Johnson years ago. I feel like those are the kind of guys that you want to circle on your uh, on your card here and say, I, I want to keep an eye on them. How do you feel about those guys? You know, I, I and once again, I, I don't necessarily think that an older player is going to win this one. Um, I just think that there's 
and not to say that they that either player is is past their prime but i just i kind of look at the season and you know zach is an amazing person an amazing player and has an incredible career um this year hasn't necessarily been a great year in terms of his playing schedule um I, I think he's played a bunch of tournaments, but just hasn't had too much success making cuts. Um, distance uh, off the tee it is just harder as you get older to keep up that distance and accuracy. And um, I, I, I just think that Zach's going to make a heck of a U.S. team captain um, for some of our, you know, international competitions. But I don't know if he's got enough in him to win this i do think a name from the past who's had some serious success who might not be one of these young guns uh a name to keep an eye out on is mark leishman and uh that's a name that if you are looking for a deep cut a guy who is you know kind of flown under the radar if he's in the field and playing and he's healthy um, he seems to always have his name on that top 10. I, I can close my eyes and I can for like the last four or five open championships. I just feel like Leishman's name is always there early. Maybe it fades late. I know he had a, had a great run there as well competing. I think he has a second place finish. Um, but, uh, Leishman is, is, is a guy that I, that is a little bit more towards the Zach Johnson's, uh, of the world. And, um, but I, I firmly believe that it's going to be a younger player that wins this one. Yeah, I was looking up some odds on DraftKings while you were talking here. Mark Leishman is around 65 to 1 to win the tournament. So that's a deep poll there. And Louis Austin, who I, who I like, is 40 to 1. Those are a couple of names I'm throwing out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, you know, there's there's a few other names if we're if you want to go down this path of guys I like. Yeah. Um, you know, these, I wouldn't call these, I'm not, I'll, I'll share, I'll share my sleeper here. Uh, Mark is obviously my deep sleeper. I mean, anybody that's going out at over 60 is um, 60 to one is, is a deep sleeper, but um, the guys that I really like this year, obviously Colin, I think he's at 18 to one uh, Matt Fitzpatrick at 20 to one. Uh, and I love Xander uh, Xander Shoffley going out at 22 to one um, Xander obviously has had a great year so far this year and um and and i just think that this is another chance for him to establish himself uh amongst his peers as uh as as, as a top 10 player in the world yeah i mean i'm looking at the board right now they they had the betting favorite entering the tournament is rory mcelroy eight to one and you got john rom 11 to one scotty scheffler 12 to one justin thomas 14 to one so a lot of the usual names are up there and the Maricara fitzpatrick right behind them so i feel like it's gonna be i feel like it's a big i think it's kind of wide open absolutely and uh to give you just you know my sleeper pick i don't know if you're seeing the same thing that i was but i couldn't believe it seeing my guy sam burns at going out at 40 to one i was completely shocked by that you know how i'm a huge fan of everything that he does he's had an incredible year i think he's got three wins this year i believe he won sanderson farms valspar and i think he won charles schwab challenge too so he's got three wins he's second in the fedex cup and he's going out at 40 to one now i know this is a very different venue and whatnot but the guy is playing incredible golf and you want to talk about a sleeper pick Poof, man he's he's a name to circle for sure yeah i'm looking at the DraftKings, as of recording on July 6th here, he is now up to 35-1 to with Tyrell Hatton. They're both in that range. Then right behind them at 40-1 is the trio of Tiger Woods, Tommy Fleetwood, and Louis Osthusen. 
Yeah, I, I would lean more on the the Hatton and and the and the um and the Burns side of, of of those five names that you that you listed there. Yeah. Also, I gotta get your winner pick. You have a little bit of a hot streak here, giving us some picks here. I mean, you call. You said Justin. Tom, you said uh, Justin Thomas at the at the uh, oh, at the PGA. He did take care of business there. Mathis Patrick's on your short list at the U.S. Open. He did take care of business there. I did bet both of those guys and make a little bit of money there. So the pressure's on here. Who are you? Who are hey, you? unsolicited advice. I I I had nothing to do with that. I just I personally I, I those who are the guys who I felt good just, shots. Feeling the situation out, um, I, I thought that those are the guys that had the best. I'm not going to take credit for it. They had to go out and win it, but I, those are the guys that I just thought that their games were were meant for it. Um, there's two. There's there's two guys I'm really torn on. Um, I think that Cam Smith uh, is is. I think he. I don't know where he is on on the board uh, on the odds board, but I just I think he. Ever since winning the Players Championship, I think that. He's now kind of quietly gone into the background. Cam Smith is one of those guys. Every time you try to forget about him, he pops back out of nowhere and and, and is like, you know, three shots into the lead. Um, it's been a little while since, you know, you've seen his name back at the top of the leaderboard, but for a while there, he was dominating. So Scotty Scheffler's run and Sam Burns's run has kind of happened right behind him. So don't forget about Cam Smith, but I have to pick Xander. Um, I'm, he's my pick for the week. Um, I I've, I've already said exactly why I think that, uh, you know, he, he won at travelers. He won the team competition at Zurich. He's had several other top tens this year. I, I just think that from hit from a purely trying to separate himself, um, and he's got nothing to lose. He's got everything that to still prove, Here's an opportunity for him to go out and win on European soil. And absolutely, uh, this is this is the course. It will be a true test um, of your, your mental fortitude to be able to combat not only the conditions, but the crowds uh, and, and really a course that can be very, very nasty. Um, I mentioned earlier, my dad was talking to me. He goes, you know, one of the strangest things about St. Andrews is that you don't know where the greens end and the tee boxes start. And um, it just goes to show you it, from a visual standpoint, you know, most golf courses, you know, okay, you see the green, you see the, you know, kind of the, the first and second cut, and then you clearly know where the, the hole ends and then where the path is going to take you to get to the next hole. Well, that's not how it is out there. It is an open landscape. It is a true links and you're you can easily get distracted or take a bad sight line and you could be hitting from angles that you're just not expecting to hit from so um you have to be absolutely dialed in and focused and he's a guy who when he starts off and puts himself in contention once again it's all about how you start off on thursday friday um if he's hovering on saturday i'm gonna text you and i'm gonna be like mm, i'm feeling pretty good about this one again yeah. so uh xander Shoffley's my pick yeah xander and can smith both going off at 22 to one one other guy i want to mention before we go here and he's had some very close uh finishes here at these last couple of majors wills Torres. he had the well he, had, he choked down the stretch at the uh u.s open he finished second at the pga he was second at the masters last year feel like he's knocking on that door or he's got to get one soon. Otherwise he sort of enters that Greg Norman territory. He's getting close to no cigar. 
Well, and that's the thing too, is I don't think Will needs to, he's got a long career ahead of him playing in majors and, you know, he's so young and so energetic and has all the pieces of a game that you would want. And, um, you know, I just, I'm looking at, at the guys who are going to look at this as the 150th anniversary and playing of the event and wanting the Claret Jug. And, and there's just, this is the one that I, I truly believe, um, that it's going to be one of these, you know, slightly more established, nothing against Will and his game. I think he can do it. I think he'll be in contention. I think Will will be a top 10 finish. I just think that Xander's got a little bit more experience. So if he's in the mix, if it's down the stretch, the two of them, I'll feel good that I, that I chose Xander on that front. Every Will's out is a guy you absolutely have to root for. And um, I, I, I really hope he gets over the hump and I hope I'm wrong. All right, we'll see about it. And Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you find on social media? Keep up some of the stuff you're up to. Sure. Uh, I You can find me at DMART207. And um, I will be hopefully back on and give you guys a little bit of a update before uh, kind of end of uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs and uh, a little bit leading into President's Cup. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for all the time. Really Talk appreciate it. Soon. No problem. See you later. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. Time to get you up to date on the end of Wimbledon here. And it was a lot of chaos in this tournament. I mean, we, we'll start on the women's side. And a lot of the big names went out pretty early. I mean, Serena Williams went out the first round. And she played hard. But again, you could tell that the Russ is laying off the long break from the injury had an impact on her. We'll see if she gets better at Wimbledon. The winner of a tournament ends up being uh, Kazakhstan, Elena Rybakina, who actually is born in Moscow, but renounced her country after the they refused to invest in her as a youth. So interesting term events there that the Wimbledon where all Russian players were banned, that we have someone who was born in Moscow, not representing the Russian flag, ends up winning the tournament. She did a good had a good run for the tournament. Nice job her to get her first career major. We'll see if she'll parlay in success at the U.S. Open here. So we need a stronger field there. On the men's side, got some intrigue, obviously, happening here. You get Rafael Nadal's pursuit of the calendar slam get cut short because Nadal suffered an abdominal injury in his quarterfinal win over Taylor Fritz. He had to withdraw from the tournament, which was unfortunate timing for him because he basically told everybody, he said, hey, you know what? I can't do it myself where I can't even get out there and serve or be an effective player. So rather than risk further injury, he pulled out, which sucks for us because we wanted to see the pursuit of the Grand Slam end on the court and not because of injury. But Rafa says, you know what, I'm going to be in good shape to, you know, rehab for a couple of weeks and get into shape for the U.S. Open. Maybe he wins three out of four. It'll be a hell of a year for him. We'll see that here. The final on the other side. Novak Djokovic ends up winning it. He beats Nick Kyrgios in four sets of the final. Kyrgios had the walkover because he's supposed to play in the doll in the semifinals. Gets the first set. Djokovic promptly responds, wins the next three sets here, and wins another Wimbledon title here. He moves up to 21 Grand Slams all-time. He's now one behind the doll in the all-time leadership position. He has passed Roger Federer again. Federer stuck at 20. I think it's inter- what's interesting here with the Djokovic situation is that, obviously, I mean, he has won the last four Wimbledons that have been played. So that's an impressive streak. But right now, he really needs this one if he wanted to be in the legs of Jace because of his own self-inflicted decisions that 
might limit him from playing in majors for a little bit because right now he's still unvaccinated. And as of right now, U.S. law requires that international travelers be vaccinated out of the country. So unless that changes the next month or so, he is not going to be able to play the U.S. Open, which is probably one of his best slams. So he will be out of there. Australia. Remember the fiasco at the beginning of the year when he tried to go in with the medical exemption, the government and deporting him. He could be facing a three-year ban from Australia, which is his best major. He might not play there either. Then you have the next opportunity for him after this Wimbledon with the French Open, which is, we know, Rafael Nadal's domain. So, Novak really, really had to get this one. And he got it. Good showing from him. We will see what happens here with his future endeavors, but... Odds are, if this, unless this law changes in the next couple of weeks, and with this rise of BA5 variant floating around here, I would be surprised if it does. Despite the last scene, Djokovic on the major scene this year. He has no one to blame but himself. He needed that win. He got it. We will see what happens here. You will also be getting all the Russian-born players back in the U.S. Open. So, Daniel Medvedev will be back to defend his title. The doll will be here. A lot of the other top games will be here. So, it should be a fun tournament, and we will get you ready for that in a few weeks. And with that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank my guest. First up, Phil Farhad for coming on here to talk about the possibility that the Senate could look into MLB's antitrust exemption. A lot of good information there. Also, I want to thank Dan Martini for helping us preview the Open Championship as he finished our coverage of the golf majors for the year. If you want more stuff like this podcast, include my take on the college football realignment that's threatened the future of college sports as we know it. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. The Sky Guys podcast also back after a little break this week. We're going to be recording a podcast this week about looking ahead to all the future projects that Star Wars has announced at this point, and we're going to rank them based on our excitement level for them and what we could expect. That will not be in this feed. It will only be in the Sky Guys feed. If you want to check that podcast out, make sure you subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast. Same podcast platform as at the top of the show. If you want that Star Wars content between the live-action shows, check it out there. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week here, we're going to have some fun at the All-Star break for Major League Baseball. We have the season taking a break. We're going to reset the first half, get ready for the second half. We're going to have some fun and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.